G'day, and thanks for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. We this week are hosting a discipleship training week, and our focus is on prayer, and we hope that you find this encouraging. God bless you. So it's my privilege to introduce Alex Crossley. So Alex has only just got married um, to a lady that I met for the first time at DTW last year. Uh, So Alex has really partnered with us. So Alex is pastor at Southern Life Church in Hackham, and they are hosting the the prayer night on Friday night and the worship night tomorrow night. If you can come along to those, I strongly encourage you to do so. Um, And first met Alex through prayer stuff, really. Um, He is someone who made a decision some time ago. It may not still be active um, but he made a decision that if he got invited to a prayer meeting, he would go. Um, and he has consistently been involved in a, a pastor's uh, prayer gathering every Tuesday morning. Um, he um, is someone that I really respect. And in terms of the area of prayer, it just makes sense for Alex to speak. In fact, last year, our focus was the spiritual disciplines more broadly. And we asked different people to speak into different areas uh, of passion and understanding and Alex was the person that spoke into prayer at last year's discipleship training uh, a week and I'm really excited to give him a little more time than he had last year uh, to unpack prayer. It's something that is very personal to him, something that not only has he operated in but he has taught others, encouraged others. Um, there's a, a group of uh, young adult men, um, definitely women as well that have been impacted but a group of young adult men because uh, often it's harder to find men to pray. Um, and even in our demographic here, like we've done all right, we've got some men, but I think the women are, are winning in terms of percentages here today and I think on the live stream as well. Um, but a group from his church um, that they pray at 6 a.m. on uh, Tuesday mornings, um, you know, just getting that happening with a bunch of young adult men. Uh, so I love that, yeah, Alex's heart is for prayer, but also for equipping others in prayer. Um, and yeah, I'd love you to make him feel welcome, give him a round of applause uh, as Alex kicks us off. Thanks, Shane. Um, yeah, he gave my intro for me. I've been the pastor at Southern Life now for five years, five years uh, actually last week, and uh, yeah, married to Sarah, and um, I'm basically where I am because of prayer, but um, we'll get into that. And the other one, say thanks to Shane and Christy. Uh, I did meet Shane and Christy through a prayer meeting, Someone else said, I'm meeting them for prayer, and uh, I turned up, and I don't think they've actually come and prayed with us ever since then, but, um, <laughs> but I've met with Shane and Christy, and uh, they've got a good heart, and I totally respect, um, I, I didn't church plant, I took over an existing church, but it was, a, it was an elderly church, and um, similar to a church plant, in fact, I had someone who is a bit of an expert in the field tell me that it's a replant, which they said is twice as hard as church planting, and I don't know about that. But I know that it wasn't easy, and um, what I what I want to aim for as a basic is to. Um, I think I've had a couple of cheat codes in life. I think they come down to prayer and they come down to faith, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So if I can just give you them, then you will also have those advantages. A friend of mine who was not a Christian said to me when I was about 24, he said, "Alex, you're the luckiest guy I know." He's like, "I don't know how you do it, but you're so lucky." And I was like, "Well." You don't believe it, but it's because I pray. <laughs> and um, so that's, that's sort of the aim there. But it's a pleasure to be here. I'm going to pray first. And then I'm going to tell a story that I wasn't going to tell because I thought uh, I didn't have any faith. I thought it'd be the same people as last year. But it's not. It's different people. So I can reuse stories. Praise God for that. <laughs> uh, so apologies if you heard it before. But Father, we thank you for this morning. And I thank you so much for every person who's gathered here. Lord, whether they have come uh, excited or they've just turned up because it's the thing that they're going to do, I ask that you'd fill them with faith. Lord Jesus, you would equip them, you would equip them this week to be disciples and to be effective disciples and to be disciples that make a difference and to be people who, um, you know, aren't just burdened down with all the things in the world, but actually are able to carry the message and the love and the power of Christ wherever they are. And so help me this morning. I ask that you give me the grace to speak truth, 
And Lord, that it would be far beyond my own ability, but it'd be yours. And that, Father, this would be edifying, blessing to the people. We ask the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you to open the ears and the heart to understand that, Lord, these people would understand truth. Even if it's not what I was saying, it's just what you're speaking to them, that they would understand truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 4 verses 6 is the little scripture I want you to kind of know. You probably know it, but sometimes I'm not sure Christians know it. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. Um, And I think Shane was going to put that in the scripture on the screen. He can just leave it there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I'll tell you the story, which I've told lots of places before. Um, But when I was 19 years old, um, I was mowing lawns for a living. That's what I did. And I was doing that for a year. I was sort of in between. I was a bit lost. I've always felt a call to ministry. This is what I wanted to do. But the way the Lord took me, it wasn't your traditional path. And there was a whole bunch of stuff there, which is a different story. So I found myself mowing lawns. And the thing about mowing lawns is that uh, I'm from Queensland, which means that the grass grows like a hundred times faster than it does here. So you would mow a lawn and you come back the next week and the grass was already up to your waist. I mean, I've got a photo of my brother and I, we worked together for a bit mowing a lawn and the grass, and this is not an exaggeration, the grass was up that high. I mean, it's a weed, so it's not, you know, it's not your lawn. But the thing is, it was not a pleasant job. I am very white. I don't do well in the sun. Um, I don't do well outside and doing hot jobs. So I was working this job, and at the same time, I had this sense, I meant to do something more with my life, but it's, some, it's sort of off in the distance. And what am I supposed to do between now and then? And I, I kind of wanted to get a girlfriend or a wife, and, you know, guys, a lot of girls prefer a guy who's doing something with their life, and someone mowing lawns is not necessarily look like they're doing something with their life. If they're someone like me, where you're a kind of thinker and you're reading and you're kind of intellectually based, it feels a bit like maybe you should be doing something different with your life and that mowing lawns is on pause. And I know that's true because a bunch of people told me that was what they thought. (laughs) So I'm not saying mowing lawns is bad. In fact, I know a bunch of guys who are incredibly wealthy and own three or four boats through mowing lawns. So I go for it. But for me, I was admitting that, yeah, you know, this wasn't really my gifting. It wasn't really my ability. I wasn't that good at it, um, and I didn't really enjoy it. And so I was in this kind of spot, but I did not know what to do. I, I, I didn't have any qualifications, and I really had feeling, the feeling that God wanted me in ministry, and so I shouldn't go and go to university and study some degree because it was going to be a waste of time. I'd actually tried that, and the course shut down on me within one semester, like completely shut. And so I think God was just saying, that is not an cl- open door for you. And so I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what options I've got. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. But I decided that I was going to pray. And I decided I was going to pray seriously. And the way that I decided to pray seriously was there was a hill near my house. Uh, It overlooked our little airport. And um, I drove up there at 5 o'clock every morning. I started work at about 6.30. Drove up there at 5 o'clock every morning. Sat down with a thermos of coffee or tea and um, prayed. I prayed for a few things, but the one thing I prayed every single morning when I went up was, Lord, I ask that you would give to me a full-time job in a decent field that could become a career that's a good use of my time. Something that, like that kind of thing. I had a specific thing in my mind. It was not a job in particular, but it was a kind of job. In other words, I want the kind of job, if, I'm not, if you're not going to send me off and be a missionary or make me a pastor, then let me do something that is sort of fits with where I think I should be in life and other people think I should be in life. And I started praying that prayer, and I prayed that prayer every day roughly for about six months. And at the end of the six-month period, I got a phone call from a guy in our church who I didn't particularly know. Uh, who was an engineer, who had an engineering business. He rang me up. He said, Alex, would you like to come and be my personal assistant? And I was like, well, I don't have a clue how to be a personal assistant, but it seems better than mowing lawns. (laughs) So yeah, I'll come be a personal assistant. And so I came and worked for him, got a job, literally out of nowhere. I did not put any resumes in. I did not speak to anyone. 
In fact, I didn't even tell anyone I was looking for a job because I was kind of proud. So if people asked me, I was like, no, I'm happy. I like mowing lawns. It's great. I can listen to podcasts, which was true. Um, so completely out of the blue, I got offered this job. And I was at the job and I discovered that I am a terrible personal assistant because I have no administrative abilities. <laughs> and um, my church knows that. Um, thank goodness for my wife, who's now actually scheduling things, so people turn up on time, because I forgot. But um, I, I was there, and I, and I did, you know, I was a bit like, oh, I'm not very good at personal assistant, but there was this other job that his company did, and they, they had a guy who did it, but then they needed some extra work, and in the end, they ended up training me up in this particular field, which is called GIS, and it's to do with maps and all that kind of stuff. And I ended up developing, I got a specialized little skill after 12 months there, the problem with that job was that guy was a home business and he was going through a divorce and the, when you've got little personal businesses and they go through divorces, it massively affects the business. And so basically it was like I would work 60 to 70 hours one week and I would work three hours the next week, just all over the place. And I, I went on a trip to Africa um, for ministry and on the way back, I was just feeling anxious. I was like, ah, I don't want to go back to work because I don't know what's going to happen. Like, am I going to rock up and... Am I going to be working every single day? Like that guy would be like, yeah, we're going to start at six and we're going to drive to Mackay, which is four hours away. And then we're going to work until midnight and then we're going to drive back at 6 a.m. the next morning. And probably illegal, but I was kind of young and just, yeah, okay. But it was not enjoyable and it was not sustainable and it was so uncertain. And so I'm on the plane flying home from Africa and I didn't sleep that well on the plane, but I decided that I was not getting back in Australia until God was sick of me asking him, Lord, when I get back, I want full-time work, 38 hours a week, regular, stable, full-time work, 38 hours a week. And I just repeated that sort of like a mad person for, for 12 hours on a plane. I mean, obviously, you read and you sleep as well, but in between, it's just like, Lord, would you give me full-time work, 38 hours, not this other nonsense. And I got off the plane, and it was either the, I actually think it was the day I got back, but it may have been the day after or the day after that, but almost immediately before I got back, before I ever went into the office, my boss called me. He said, Alex, while you've been gone, uh, one of our clients, it's a council, they um, need someone, they, they've got a vacancy in your position, they need someone to go and sit at a desk and do your job for them to do it for 10 weeks, and I said, what's the terms? He said, look, it's 38 hours a week, it's full-time work, you'll get paid a full-time wage, but you, we'll pay you, but they'll pay us, etc." And I was like... Thank you, God. That's exactly what I asked for. And uh, I was there 10 weeks, and at the eighth week, I was like, I like this job because it was stable, it was regular, there was none of the drama that was going on in the other workplace at the time. And, um, but that guy had only gone away for a 10-week holiday. He's going to come and take his uh, job back. It was local government. If you know anything about local government, it is impossible to fire anybody in local government, and they never quit. Why would you? <laughs> it's really good money, and you work nine days a fortnight. And so I was like, there's Buckley's and no chance of me getting this job. And I even spoke, the manager even spoke to me and said, look, man, we love your work. However, we can't give you a job. It just doesn't exist. This guy's going to come back. The guy turns back up from his holiday or whatever he was away for. He says, look, actually, I've got another job in a different city. I'm not coming back. I'll see you later. And the manager immediately walked over me and said, can you have this job? And I was like, I definitely can. <laughs> And uh, actually, um, I was just completely overwhelmed, and, and I just was like, thank you, Lord. And uh, that, I'm going to give a couple of illustrations, and they're going to be carnal illustrations. And in other words, they're not going to be a big spiritual miracle. And the reason I want to do that is because if you have a view of prayer that is exclusively spiritual in practice, you will simply not pray. You just won't do it. I, I meet people all the time and they say, oh, I would never pray about a car park or a job or any of that kind of stuff because I'm spiritual. They are not. They do not have faith. They never get their prayers answered. And if they're in a prayer meeting with me, I'm like, yeah, cool. You can just skip. Let's go to the next person who actually believes God because you don't believe God. If you did believe God, you'd ask God. And we'll get to that in a second. So, so don't have a mindset that says you can only pray about spiritual stuff Everything is spiritual or nothing is spiritual. 
We don't live in Cartesian dualism where there's a spiritual world and a natural world and they're all separate and you can just sort of separate them. No, God gives you a life. He calls you to do things. Those things involve natural things, including little tiny things like getting a car park. And you should pray about everything. Because Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So I'm going to give some examples. I'm just letting you know that, look, I've got lots of examples of spiritual answers to prayer. But my experience has been, if you can get people to pray about the natural, they will naturally pray about the spiritual. It becomes a habit. It becomes this kind of thing where they, they just get into a routine. I'm used to asking God. And so then when you become a pastor of a church... And you rock up, and that's impossible. <laughs> like, you're 25, you're young, you're trying to get this church. They say, look, we want this church to be younger people. Well, young people don't just turn up. <laughs> Ask any pastor. Young people don't just appear. So how are you going to do all that? Like, what are you going to do? And the thing is, if you haven't got a practice in your life that says, when I've got a problem, I pray. When I'm anxious, I pray. You're not going to pray when there's spiritual stuff happening. And I know this. Because I know pastors, and I've been to lots of pastors' prayer meetings, and I've talked to lots of pastors, and the fact is lots of pastors don't pray, because they're not used to it. And so they have to work up all this courage just to pray about the big stuff, but you're supposed to pray about the small stuff, so that as you pray about the small stuff, it becomes easy to believe God for everything who's big. Thanks, thanks, Christy. No one in my church ever says amen. And I went to a church once, it was very vocal, and I was like, whoa. I am good. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Okay, so let's go back. I got ahead of myself. This is a discipleship training week. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who imitates and follows a teacher. So you are all disciples of Jesus, I'm assuming. I sure hope. And that means that your life, if you were an old school disciple back in the early church, also back in the days of Jesus, if you took on uh, a teacher or they took on you as a disciple, you would basically try to end your period of discipleship looking, sounding, walking, eating, everything exactly like your teacher. This, we have a very individualistic and self-expressive culture, so we like to imagine all of ourselves as kind of individuals. And so if you follow a teacher, you're like, yeah, I'll take that part, but I'll, I'll do this differently. And he wears you know, hats, but I'll wear beanies or whatever it might be. But that's not how they did it. They literally wanted the person to finish their period of discipleship. If they had the same beard and if they could change their nose to be the same nose, like that's the aim. Because they want the person to be so formed into the personality and character and practices of their teacher that they can replicate that because they're assuming that what the teacher's doing is good. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, it means that your aim is to look, sound, talk, walk, and act like Jesus. Okay, prayer. Where does Jesus sit on prayer? Jesus prayed a lot. Jesus did three years of ministry. At the start of his three-year period of ministry, he went and fasted and prayed for 40 days. That is probably 40 more days than most every Christian ever does when it comes to going off in ministry. And I think most of us, you know, the Lord calls us to do something and we think, okay, I'll do a 10-minute prayer get some confirmation, off we go. Jesus was like, no, I'm going to do 40 days. Then we'll go. Not just that, but it says Jesus was in this habit of getting up in the morning before anyone else was awake to pray. Jesus said things like, I only do what I hear the Father, I only say what I hear the Father saying, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And I think most people imagine that the way that was working was that Jesus was sort of walking along and there was a ghost of God next to him and the God would say, say this do that. And that's not true. Of course, that's not true. What happened is Jesus spent time with the Lord in prayer. And from that place, he was given the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of the Lord to go and do what he was supposed to do. He, Jesus did not have magic powers that you and I do not have. He simply had a relationship with God that was more complete than our relationship. But if he says, be my disciples, he's assuming you can become his disciples, which means that whatever he was doing, you ought to expect that to a certain degree, in fact, probably to a lot more than we ever do, you could also do. And so you shouldn't think, well, Jesus prayed a lot because when he prayed, you know, angels appeared and this magic experience happened and he was teleported up into a different realm. When Jesus prayed, probably it was almost the same as for us. You sit there by yourself 
and you start talking. And if a stranger walks past, they would say, that person's got some mental issues. And that's, that's what prayer looks like. And so we should look like Jesus, which means we should pray like Jesus, but I'm pretty confident that we don't. How many of you pray as much as Jesus prayed? How many of you pray a lot less than you think you should pray? The questions I want to ask this morning is why? Why don't we pray enough? What, why is it that why is it that when people in my church come to me and they say, I've got this problem, I say, have you prayed about it? They say, yeah, I've prayed about it. I say, when? Um, oh, I've prayed about it. No, like when? Did you pray this morning? Uh, yeah, sort of, I think. So you didn't pray about it is what you're saying. You thought about it. You worried about it. You told me about it. But you didn't actually go and talk to God about it. You, you just thought about it. It was a thing in your head. I, I, that happens all the time. Let's be honest. I mean, I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm just saying, let's be honest. Let's be real. How often is it that when, it's like when someone comes and says, would you pray for me? Yes, I will. How many of us actually pray for them? Probably everyone in this room does, and I'm the only person who doesn't. But I say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and I forget about them. I walk straight away. Because we often say we're going to pray, we actually just don't do it. You know, if you really sat there and watched our life, you'd say, well, I mean, if you watch my life, people say, I pray a lot. I don't pray anywhere near as much as I should pray. I've just got a few testimonies of the times I did pray. But that's the thing. I've had guys and girls come to me about jobs because I had that testimony with a job. And, I, and they'll say, they'll say I, I, just, I can't find a job. I'm like, okay, have you prayed about it? Like, that's the thing I've got. I, I don't have great career advice. I just got that. Can you do that? And they say, oh, yeah, I've tried. Okay. I'm like, okay, but did you do, like, you said you did what I did, so did you do what I did? Because it was kind of annoying getting up at five in the morning every morning. It was cold. It was, I didn't like it. But I was so, dis, I had just decided that that is what I had to have happen, that I did what was necessary to, to make my request known to God. I'm not saying you have to go up and get up at five o'clock in the morning to get a job. I'm just saying, people will say to me, I've prayed about an issue. And I ask them when they've prayed about it, how they've prayed about it. If you had this testimony, what would it look like? Who do you think told the disciples that Jesus got up in the morning and prayed or that he was in the desert? It was Jesus. There was no camera there. Jesus said to the disciples, the disciples said something like, how did you become like this? And Jesus said, well, this is what happened. I went in the desert for 40 days. And then Satan came and tempted me and I said this. He said this, I said this. He said this, I said this. He says, you know, this morning I was up praying. He probably told them about the Garden of Gethsemane because who else was there? The disciples were asleep. So Jesus in his resurrection comes and says, they say, what happened? And he goes, this is what happened. So if someone came to you and said, oh, I've got this answer to prayer, how are you going to tell the story? Are you going to say, yeah, I did pray so that you can say God did answer? Or are you going to say, I thought about it. I worried about it. I put on Hillsong in the background while I worried about it. So it felt kind of spiritual. Or are you going to say, no, I did pray. And then God did answer. And if you don't, why? I don't all the time do it. So why? My two answers to that question the first one is we don't do what God tells us to do. Uh, that actually doesn't mean what, I th what you think it means. I don't mean that you do what God tells you not to do. I mean that we don't actually consider God's involvement in most of our actions. Here is a principle that I believe, and Shane can tell me it's wrong, but I believe with all my heart is true. A Christian should not do anything and I mean anything that they cannot pray about. If you're a Christian, there should not be one single thing in your life, and that I literally mean every movement of your body, you should not be doing anything that you can't talk to God about. If you can't ask God for help, why are you doing it? Let's think about ministry or work like if you are going on a date with somebody 
And before you go on the date, you just don't want to talk to God about it. Why? Probably because you know that you shouldn't be going on the date. Something's not right there. But if you should be going on the date, then surely you should be able to pray about it and say, God, would you help with this? Or would you lead with this? Or would you keep me from going the wrong way with this? Or whatever it might be. The point is, can you? Sh- it's like husbands, they say to husbands and wives, okay, if you get married, there should not be anything in your life that you can't talk to your spouse about. Not a single thing. And why is that? Because your spouse claims to love you, and you're supposed to be one. And so if there's something in your life that you can't tell your spouse about, it's either, it's either not meant to be there, or there's something wrong in your relationship that's causing you not to tell them. But that is exactly the same with God. I, I, just, I can't think of anything that a Christian should be doing that they shouldn't be able to pray about. I mean, like, if you are having a hard t- I remember once, I worked at a meatworks before I worked mowing lawns. I did like six or eight months in the meatworks when I was like 16 years old. And I remember one day they gave me this job and we had to fold boxes. I'm like a 16-year-old and they had backed up all these boxes from the night before. And so I had this wall, a literal wall up to like that high of boxes I had to prepare. And you had a time limit because those abattoirs are a factory. So it just, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. So I had a little limited time to do it and a lot of pressure to do it. And I was looking at this thing and I was like, I can't do this. And popped into my head was the song, and this will sound terrible, but in, into my head was the song, you know, Savior, He can move the mountains. Because <laughs> I was looking at a mountain of boxes. Okay. Okay, that song's got more application than boxes. But I, that, in that moment, I was like, God, can you please help me to do this? And if you think to yourself, oh, Alex, that's very, you know, God's not a magic genie. You shouldn't be talking to him about that kind of stuff. Okay, who should I be talking to about then? So you're saying that God isn't interested in what I do with my life? Because it doesn't say that way. It doesn't speak that way about God. It says that God loves us more than our parents love us, and my parents would absolutely be interested in that fact. If I rang my mum and dad up and I said, hey, mum and dad, today at work there was this massive pile of boxes and I couldn't do it, they would absolutely be interested in that. They wouldn't be interested in like, oh, poor Alex, but they'd be like, yeah, okay, how did you help that? Or could we help you? Maybe we can take you and train you and how to fold boxes faster. I don't know what it might be. The point is, if they care about you, if, if God either cares about you more than your parents and more than your spouse, or he is lying in the Bible over and over and over again about his involvement in your life, which means that if you are stuck with a problem that is as simple and as ridiculous as a 16-year-old boy not being sure if he can fold enough boxes in time, you should be able to ask God for help, and you should be able to believe that he's interested enough in your life that he would help you. And when I did that, I did not mean, here's the thing, God did help me, but he didn't help me by magically folding boxes, because he's not a genie. But he did help me by, I think I got a little bit of perk. I was like, yeah, no, I can do this. And I believe that God can help me. And so I was able to do it. And I did it happily and I finished the job. And I, it's not some great miracle. I don't get up and say, hey, guys, I've got this amazing story of my life. But again, the reason I prayed for my job two or three years later is because of that story. And because of like a hundred other stories bef- before then. Because either you're going to pray about everything Or in my experience, you pray about almost nothing. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Most people, when we come to this passage, like when you think about this passage and apply it into your life, and Paul says, don't be anxious, Christians do this silly thing where what we do is we say, the only stuff that Paul's talking about is the big stuff. And so we think about anxious, and we think, I am anxious sometimes about things that God would care about. Like, I'm anxious about Ukraine and the possible World War III, or I'm anxious about COVID, or I'm anxious about divorce, or I'm anxious about famine, or these big sort of things. And that's true, you are anxious about those things, and so pray about them. Stop being anxious, start praying. But most of the time, your anxiety in life is actually not from those things. Like that, let's be honest with ourselves. Not many of you are really anxious about Ukraine. You're really anxious, though, when you're a little bit late to work and you can't get a car park. Or you're really anxious when you're like $10 short on your bills for the month 
or you're really anxious when you've got to go meet with your boss about a conversation that's not the end of your job, but just it's like, yeah, maybe I didn't do the best job on this and I might need a bit of help. In pastoring a church, most of the anxiety that I've experienced is not the big things like a demon being cast out or something like that. It's actually just little stuff. Some lady who won't leave me alone about something that I can't really fix, but I sort of could try to fix it. And so it's kind of in this in-between spot and you're like, oh, I feel kind of anxious about that. And so what are you going to do about that? Are you going to just worry about it? And what's that going to achieve? Or are you going to pray? If you think that God only cares about the big stuff, you just don't know God. Um, it's just not true. My life is a testimony after testimony after testimony of God caring about little stuff. In fact, I get so frustrated with God because I pray about the big stuff and sometimes it feels like nothing's happening. But then I pray about some silly little thing that does not matter in the scheme of things at all and it's this bang, I get what is undeniably a miracle, like getting a job. I'll give you a story from last year. Uh, two stories that I genuinely was a bit annoyed at God for answering because there are other things that he hasn't answered yet and I'm kind of like can you just maybe stop answering these prayers and start answering the big prayers like can I swap because I've got some big stuff I need dealt with but um, so f first of all last year I, I, I got married last year but before that I, I had been living with some friends to save money for about 18 months and um, I was taking my uh, the girl I married up to meet my family and while we we're up there we were praying a bit about my living situation. The guys I was living with were having a baby. Um, so that arrangement was not sort of sustainable. And I think we both, I sort of felt like maybe I'd over, I was about to overstay my welcome. Like I was about a day away from overstaying my welcome. And um, certainly Sarah felt that quite strongly because girls are a little bit more aware of where maybe people's feelings are at than guys are. And so she was like, you need to change your living situation here and I was like yeah that's great we do need to change our living situation and Sarah does not come from a background that teaches on prayer she comes from a background that basically teaches that you shouldn't pray about literal I don't know what they're allowed to pray about but it doesn't sound like anything to me but because they never pray about anything because it's always well if it's God's will I guess we'll think about it maybe one day and then we'll pray and anyway so she did not come from that she came into our church and into our teaching and had this like revelation that she could actually pray and proceeded to just get a whole bunch of prayers answered. Anyway, so we go up to Queensland. We're there for two weeks. And on the plane ride up, she says, you should look for a house. Look for a rental house. And this is 12 months ago in the middle of that crazy COVID period where you could not get rentals and you couldn't buy a house and you couldn't even look at a house without getting charged money. And I had friends who were looking for a house who'd been looking for four months who had been lining up with 40 other people and hadn't been getting into a house. And so Sarah being, I, I like to think that I'm a man of great faith. So I was like, it'll be fine. <laughs> we'll deal with it when I get back. Don't worry about it. Sarah was not so much full of faith. And so what she did was applied the lack of faith into prayer. So I didn't really pray about it. I didn't even think about it. But Sarah prayed every single day for that two-week period we were in Queensland. Because, yeah, as I said, she was anxious, I wasn't. And if you're anxious, you should pray. So she prayed and prayed for two whole weeks. We get on the plane to fly home, and she says, oh, so how is it going looking for the rental that you're going to go into when you move back? And I was like, oh, yeah, I should look for a rental, <laughs> which was the wrong answer <laughs> to that question. Um, <laughs> anyway, I was like, oh, yeah, I should definitely look for a rental. Um, and she was annoyed at me because we had discussed this, and I hadn't done it. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I, we prayed quickly, and I opened up the real estate app, and started swiping on the landing platform, and the sixth house I came across was the house that I used to live in. Like the, I had rented a house when I first moved in. Its lease should have been up in February, because I moved out in February, and it was up in June, so something had happened. Tenant had decided to leave. It had been online for about eight hours, and I was like, well, that landlord, like, landlord likes me, and I know the real estate agent. And so I gave them a call. I said, hey, I'm the old tenant. Would you like me? They said, absolutely. Don't worry about coming in. You're in. And so it took me 10 minutes to find a house to move into. And I had friends who did not find their rental for three more months. Now, one of us was anxious. <laughs> it wasn't me, but that wasn't because of 
great faith. It was because I wasn't thinking about it. But Sarah was anxious, but Sarah did what Paul said. She was anxious, so she prayed. She had anxiety about it. She was worried about it. She was like, I don't think Alex is going to be able to get a house. And then we're going to get married and where are we going to live? And it's going to be awkward. And not only that, but that friendship is getting a little bit stretched because they're going to have a baby and they're not so keen on Alex being around because he's kind of annoying sometimes. So, okay. Like, so she was full of all these anxieties and she prayed and God answered her prayer. And that one is definitely her answer to prayer. It's her testimony. I'm just sharing it for you because I was like blown away. I mean, what are the odds in Adelaide of opening an app in the sixth house you see as the house that you used to live in that's come out of lease at the wrong time, four months later than it should have come out of lease, that's available cheaper than it should have been, and that they immediately give you? There's no problems. They didn't even bother checking any application form. Second answer to prayer. So that was the first one last year that I was like, well, and I was a bit annoyed that God wasn't answering other prayers. <laughs> The second one was we got married and we went on a honeymoon. We got, we got married in Queensland because my family's from Queensland and Sarah's was from Canada and so it's easier to go to Queensland. But um, the first thing about that was we felt to get married in Queensland. Things lined up and we started praying about it. And this was last year and you know what it's been like with COVID and travel. And so I started by praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Because I was not suggesting to get married in Queensland. I was saying, let's just do whatever's best for you. But she, after praying, said, I think we should go to Queensland. I never suggested it. Anyway, things just opened up up there. And so it was like the favor of God was upon it being in Queensland for just a million reasons that I won't go into. And so the problem I had was COVID. It's like, well, what are the borders going to do? And I'm praying that COVID ends because you should be praying that COVID ends. But, you know, it's like, well... How much faith have I got? Have I got enough faith to believe the whole pandemic ends? Or have I got enough faith to believe that we can get to Queensland and back? I don't know. So we start praying and I developed, um, I haven't got time to talk about this today, but I developed a sense in my spirit that God was absolutely with me going to Queensland and it was going to be fine. And so that is where, when you get that sense, you take a position of faith. The position of faith is my prayer has been answered. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? So that means that I haven't got it yet, but I, as far as I'm concerned, I have got it, which means that when the hundreds of people came up to me and said, or talked to me or whatever and said, you know, oh, Queensland, you know, it's a bit risky. Hey, COVID, borders. I was like, it'll be fine. This is going ahead. God has told me it's going ahead. I'm confident. And of course, it did go ahead. And the crazy thing was that they... I had some people who were coming from South Australia to Queensland, including some people who, for various reasons, were not vaccinated. South Australia changed their laws regarding re-entry into South Australia two days after our wedding, one day after the final person from South Australia who was not vaccinated arrived through the border. So not a single guest who was coming from South Australia had to do anything, no quarantining, nothing. If they had come back one day later... Three guests would have had to quarantine, and another couple, it might have been a bit iffy. So that was the first thing. The second thing was, we're going to have a honeymoon. And again, I'm, pers I'm a person of faith. I'm a person who believes, I've prayed about it, God's given me certain things in response to prayer, so I'm going to act as if He has answered the prayer. Not stupidly, not ridiculously, but I'm going to be confident, because either I'm going to step out in faith, and God's going to answer it, or I'm not going to step out in faith, and God's not going to answer it. That's your two options for the record. You don't have a third option. You've got the option of either you've asked and then you step, or you don't ask and don't step, or you do ask and don't step. But if you do ask and don't step, you're not going to get the answer to your prayer. If Peter says, Jesus, call me out into the water, and Jesus says, come out, and then Peter says, actually, nah, I'm going to stay in the boat because I think it's silly, foolish to walk on water in the middle of a storm, which it is, Peter will never get the answer to his request. But if Peter steps out on the water, he could sink. And Jesus is like, what are you doing, Peter, man? Come on. Don't step on water. It's ridiculous. Or, Peter, or Peter, Peter says, actually, I've called you out. Come out. So for me, I was like, okay, we're doing this. And that means that we are going to plan as wisely as we can, but we are not going to cut stuff short out of fear or out of anxiety. We're just going to ask the Lord, Lord, would you just guide this thing? In the end, I got a higher car, and we were going to drive back 
from Queensland. We had booked some time in Queensland, drive back from Queensland to South Australia. And I thought, that'd give me some flexibility with maybe I can avoid certain things and whatever else. But at the time, this was right before Omicron broke out, about a week before. And so things were loosening right up, if you remember. And it was all looking fantastic. We were like, praise God, this has been so good. Apart from New South Wales, where you had to do 53 different check-in things before you walked into a shop, and, and it was annoying. But apart from that, it was really, really good, and God's favor was on us, and we could do all the things that we, actually more things than we ever thought were open, and it was just really God's hand of blessing was upon the whole thing. But I had booked the car, and this is going into details like an old man, but I booked the car for 14 days. And the 14th day was a Monday, and we had gone to Sydney, and we were leaving Sydney on the Thursday, and we'd had a really great time for like a week and a half in the previous accommodation, and then in Sydney. And then we're driving, and we were going to drive down to Melbourne, because Sarah has not seen anything of Australia. So I was going to take her for a trip, and then basically drive to Melbourne, and then drive back home from Melbourne, and get back to South Australia on Monday. Um, and I had this little plan. And we get to Thursday, or Wednesday, and just to both feeling like, Man, this has been a good trip. Maybe it's time to call it quits now. Maybe we should just drive home. And as we were thinking that through, Omicron starts appearing in the news. And suddenly, it goes from maybe we should call it quits because we're kind of satisfied to maybe we should call it quits because things aren't going to go well. <laughs> because South Australia was talking about, I mean, this was, you all remember this, they'd shut doors doors so fast and it was like borders would be open one moment and shut another moment and I knew people who got caught on a plane from Western Australia to South Australia and the plane turned, landed on the tarmac, turned around and flew back and never got out. And so we were but I, st I started to have a little bit of anxiety creep up because I had a rental car and we'd had a great trip and now they're saying, and I'm at, I'm at least a day away from the border and they're saying, that you might have to quarantine for 72 hours at the border until you get a, a PCR test. And I'd be getting there on a Friday night. And so I was like, if it's going to be 72 hours, it's going to be a Friday night. And so I'm starting to get this anxiety. And it's like, okay, Lord, what do we do? And so we started to pray. And this was the time where I was anxious and Sarah wasn't. Because Sarah had decided that the Lord was with us like three weeks ago. And so she was like, yep, it's good. God's with us. But I was having some doubts. <laughs> Because I was like, well, maybe I've made a bad decision here. Maybe I've put us in a bad position. We might get stuck at the border. And it won't be the end of the world, but we could get stuck there. And then the rental car would expire its thing. And we had a cheap rental car. But if we didn't return it on time, it was like going to cost a whole bunch of extra money. And then the extra money for accommodation. And, you know, we're not running on a massive budget. And so it was like all of a sudden I had this potential for the whole trip to be ruined at the end. So I just started to pray, and I was. this is my prayer. Lord, I thank you that we will cross that border without any tests and without any anything. We are going to go straight through. And we decided two things. First of all, that original feeling that we'd actually done enough and we'd had enough of an experience, that was there. And we felt peace about calling it quits on the trip. We didn't have any good ideas for the, the following weekend, and we just were kind of tired. And there was stuff to do when we got home. And so we were not, uh, we made a resolution in the car. We're praying for like four hours as we drove. We made a resolution. The first resolution was we are not cutting this short out of fear. That original principle still applies. Either God is with us or is not. But we are going to ask him what we should do. So we prayed and prayed. And in the end, we decided to drive 13 hours from where we were to the border. And I made some decisions. So this is not purely faith. I also decided to drive as low as we could. So we were in New South Wales, we'd just been in Sydney where Omicron had first appeared, although we weren't there when it was there, but either way, we were in Sydney. I decided to drive us as low as we could and cross the border at Border Town in Victoria because I thought if there was any chance of getting through the border on a natural level, that it would be you know lower down as opposed to the New South Wales border. And so I, I, this is the thing, when you have faith and you've got prayer, you also use your mind, God's given you both. And, I don't say that you should pray and then just do whatever, but I just mean you either pray and act or you don't pray and act or you don't pray and don't act, right? So you, you just got to pray and then do. And so we did that, but I was still concerned because I was like, well, there's no reason for them to let us through here. We haven't been in contact with anything or anyone who was near this virus because it was only in the airport, but that doesn't mean that the border guards of South Australia are going to think that. So we start praying 
And we get to the border, and I was getting anxious, but still praying. So this is, I'm not telling you I'm some person of amazing faith. I don't think I am. I just annoy God until He answers me, because I, if I don't, I'll annoy the person in the car with me until they kick me out of the car. So I was kind of getting anxious, but I'm praying, and we get to the border, and a car is next to us with New South Wales plates, and our car that we hired in Queensland had Victorian plates, and we drive up to the border, and they stop that other car, and they have this long conversation with them, so long, in fact, that they put our car in front of their car. The cop comes over to our car, how you going? We had filled in our little form to say we're coming from, we told them where we're coming from, they read the form, they said, you're double vaccinated, yes you are, great, see ya, off you go. Took less than five minutes, and we were through. And I was just, it was one of those answers to prayer that you get that is so meaningless as far as anything. I was like, and I was overwhelmed with a sense of God does care about you. And he cares about me. And I have got some stuff on my plate, and I have had over the last 18 months, that is big. And that is spiritual. And that is, like, pressure. I mean, you talk to pastors. They've got these things. You've got stuff in people's lives. You've got stuff in your own life. And some of that stuff I'm praying about, and it feels like it's not shifting. But that little experience, and the experience with the house, and this is what I'm saying. It's the praying about anything and everything that it gives you the faith to say if God cared enough about a ridiculous thing like me getting home from a holiday nicely, He does care enough about the other stuff. It says in the scripture, His kindness leads you towards repentance. So believe in a God who's kind and pray to the God who's kind. And I am not someone who's going to tell you that this means that you will have a magical fairy tale life where nothing goes wrong. That's not been my experience. But the reason I've got confidence when things don't go right, which they don't go right all the time, is because of the times when I've prayed that the Lord's answered, and especially when He's answered the stuff that I know. See, the thing about Christians today is that we so often, we will say, of course God would answer that prayer. That's really His business. Pastors do this all the time. Pastors' marriages are struggling. Pastors' finances are down. Pastors have got problems with their kids, right? They don't want to pray about those things because they don't feel like it's really God's business. But they will pray as much as they want about church stuff. Because what they're doing is they're saying, well, God only cares about His things. Because that's what we're like. We're like that. If you ask me to come over your house and help you fix your mower, bad call. I've got no mechanical experience. But you, you, you might not be sure I'd do it. But if you said, hey, your mower needs fixing. Let's fix it. You'd be like, yeah, he'd want to do that. Because it's his mower. You know what I mean? It's part of his business this is not the God of the scripture it's just not what he's like and so you should just ditch that idea and start to follow the God who either cares about everything or cares about nothing and my experience is God cares about everything and I've got I've got prayer answers that one day I'll be able to tell the pastors because they involve people who you know answers to prayer because pastoring is a lot about people and sometimes you've got people that you want to see a breakthrough in their life and you and you don't know how, but you pray. I remember one person in particular, I went and knelt at their chair where they sat in church. I went every Monday night for like six months. And I was like, Lord, you got to do something. And God did something. And the problem was solved. So the first reason we don't pray, and I'm going to close in a second. I don't know if there's enough time, Shane, but I get to a limit before we start going off on random tangents. Um, the first reason that we don't pray is that you basically... Either God cares about everything or God cares about nothing. And we need to start having the idea that God cares about everything. It's good for you. Remember, if you start to think God is actively involved in everything you do, you're going to be a little bit more careful about what you do. Right? It's better to be more spiritual in the sense it's better to have that idea. Because, again, if I'm on my honeymoon with my wife and I'm saying God cares about it, then I'm going to be careful where we go, what we do, what we say, how we act. If I just think, oh, this is just our space and God's not involved in it, then it also means I can sort of just do whatever I want. Like when I was a young teenager, I prayed and I had friends who pretended to pray. And some of them said, we think God's called us to go to nightclubs to minister to people. And I was like, well, it seems odd that God's calling you two to go to nightclubs since you drink when you go to nightclubs and hit on chicks when you go to nightclubs. So maybe you need to actually pray about what you're doing 
Because if you really were praying, you would go, sure, but you'd be weird <laughs> when you went. You'd actually involve God in this process and you probably wouldn't do it because God's not calling people to do that when they're 19-year-old dudes. Um, that's just, anyway, that's a different matter. God either cares about everything or God cares about nothing. The second reason, and this is a, just a little sh short ending, the second reason people don't pray is we just don't believe. In the end, it says in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 13, 12, one of those chapters, it says about food. It says if you eat food with basically contrary to your conscience, it is sin because without faith you can't please God. That means that faith applies at every single level, including food. Literally, if you eat vegetables or don't eat meat out of the wrong conscience, it is sinful because you're not applying faith in that matter. That's what Romans says. It's very plain. And so you either, you have to believe. You've got to believe that God listens and that it says he will reward those who seek him. This is, the, this is another topic that I'm not doing today at all. But this is the thing that I encounter over and over and over and over and over again with Christians, and it's time for it to quit. I think that there was big strides made in this in the last hundred years, and then maybe it got a little bit derailed by prosperity teaching. But there is a genuine truth. Unless you believe that God hears you and is going to answer you, don't pray. But my argument is you should always believe God hears you and will answer you. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that I don't think there is a single thing that you can pray, can't pray about that God won't hear you on. And some things he'll hear you on and he'll say, Alex, that is sinful, get it out. And you know it immediately. In fact, this test is, can I believe God for it? Like, if I'm going to go buy something, and I had this, we had a girl in our church come in, and she came from this background that every prayer was, at, there was all clauses on prayers and you know you had to add in this little line and you could only pray about these things and it was all this big burden and the consequence was as it always is she just didn't pray that's the thing is the thing is people just don't pray unless they believe that God hears them and answers them and this is why most Christians don't pray this is why I did a survey of churches and the majority of churches that I found had no mentioned prayer meeting the vast majority in fact in Adelaide go find one that's got a prayer meeting Good luck. The reason they haven't got a prayer meeting is that Christians don't think God listens to them. And they think they can do it in their own strength. And they think that we can just get a result. And if we think about prayer while we're singing a song, that'll be enough. And that's why the church is just so ineffective in the world today, the Western church. We just don't pray. You go overseas, and they're just nonstop praying because they have to pray. And they have to believe. So you've got to believe that God's going to hear you. Just don't waste energy asking unless you can apply faith to it. And there's a very simple way of applying faith. Faith is not something that you work up. It's just that you look at God and you say, of course God could do that. And then you ask. Anyway, I, I won't go into that in any more detail. Have I covered my point, Shane? Probably. Shane hasn't got my notes. So my two points are, well, my points are with Paul. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Become people. I think as disciples of Jesus, we should be people who have a secret weapon that nobody else has got. And that weapon is you've got a heavenly father who is able to do anything. In fact, it says far more than you can hope or imagine. And sure... If you want to, you can waste this gift on getting yourself faith to buy a Lamborghini or something. And look, actually, if God gives it to you, that's between you and God. doesn't say I should judge you. But I would argue that what you should use this for is everything in your life that you're going to need a lot of help with as you decide to follow Jesus. You're going to need help to find a husband or a wife if you're unmarried. You're going to need help with kids. You're going to need help with ministry. You're going to need help with finances. You're going to need help with your job. You're going to, it's just, include God. Become someone who is like Jesus, who says, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say. I don't do anything 
unless I see the Father doing it, which means I've got a pretty active relationship with God. I'm constantly talking to Him. And sure, you will end up with, oh, I was going to say, I was going to finish my story. A girl came in from that background where they don't believe anything, and she, um, she was having a hard time with this because she felt like it sounded like making God into a genie. And I was trying to explain to her that if you apply this at one level, you'll be able to scale it up to everything. And then one day she got a breakthrough, and she went to the shops, and she decided to test it out. She was looking for tights. And before she went, she was like, God, I've got this budget. Would you help me? And she ended up getting what she was looking for. And I don't know the exact details of the story, but I know that she came to our group the next week, and suddenly she started praying about the other stuff completely differently to how she'd ever prayed before. Like she was suddenly actually asking God for her friends to be saved. And she was actually asking God for her family to be changed and her uh, friend and person who's unwell to be healed. Before that, she never really was asking. Before that, she was describing the problem to God and then sort of just, I hope you can fix it, which is not prayer. But now she was asking, and it was because something had clicked for her, and she had realized that if God cares enough to give her an answer for prayer about something that is as inconsequential as tights, then he also cares about everything else. And this is what Jesus says too. He says, don't worry about anything because Jesus knows the very hairs of your head. I mean, the Lord knows the numbers of the hairs of your head. Jesus does the same principle. He scales from the little and he applies the scale and you just assume if God knows about your hairs, then of course he knows about divorces, remarriages, salvations, sicknesses, churches. Of course, because he knows about the hairs on your head. So, pray. And I'll close. I think I'm done. Sure, if anyone's got them. Effective prayer comes out of a relationship with God. That's the first and foremost principle. Uh, You're not going to get effective answers to prayer unless you have a functioning relationship with God. I will say, though, that God will answer prayers that you didn't think he would answer. He might give you a Lamborghini, but whether or not that is good or bad for you will come down between you and him. And I get this funny thing. I get this, this really funny idea, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but there's a funny idea in churches First of all, they say, they say two statements that are contradictory. They say, God is not a magic genie, so you shouldn't ask about that for. Then they say, you should never ask for a Lamborghini because that's sinful. I'm like, okay. So if God's not a magic genie, then he could probably say no when you ask for a Lamborghini. Does he have to answer that prayer? Or do you believe that he is so obligated to answer your prayer that if you pray for a Lamborghini, he must give it to you. If he does, then that's, again, that's a God problem. Like if you, Corey, walk out of this room and you say, I'm going to believe for a Lamborghini, and you get one, huh? I don't know. The question then will not be whether or not the prayer worked, it's what are you going to do with the Lamborghini? Because God is not obligated to answer prayer. He doesn't have to answer prayer. He's a person. It's like if a kid, like here's the thing. So we had a guy. I was in a prayer meeting once. Well, I was in a meeting once and we had a a man there. He was a brand new Christian, like literally four weeks, Chinese gentleman. And we said, "I, I, I never, ever, ever meet with people as much as I can, particularly young people, without finishing with prayer. So we're going to pray. And he said, oh. Um, we can't do that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, why, why can't we do that? He goes, well, you can't ask God for stuff. Um, and I was like, oh, why can't you ask God for stuff? And, you know, his Chinese background, no understanding of God. And he said, you know, you just can't do that. And I was like, okay, so you've got a daughter. He had a daughter. I said, do, would you be happy if your daughter never asked you for anything? And he was like, oh, no, I would be so sad if she never asked me for anything. I was like, what if your daughter comes to you and says, Dad, can you give me a unicorn? He goes, 
I can't give her a unicorn. But I would try. Would anyone here as a parent not try if, you, if your daughter or son came and asked for a unicorn? No, never try. Never try. But the point is that he immediately was like, he immediately got it, this guy. This Chinese gentleman completely got it. He said, he said something to the equivalent of, and this is the truth. The fact that his daughter would ask him is a symbol of the relationship because she believes her dad loves her and can do anything. And the fact that her dad can say no is a privilege of his position. He does not have to give his daughter anything she asks for, but he immediately recognized that if she stopped asking him, it would break his heart. Because what it would mean is that she would either have decided that he can't do anything. Like you've seen this. Like you've all watched it. Maybe parents have watched it. But there's that heartbreaking moment in a child's life where they realize their parents can't do everything. And what you see it, you see a light go out in their eyes because they suddenly, instead of going to mom and dad and saying, Dad, can you give me a unicorn? They go, uh, I don't know. I don't know if mom and dad would do that. And, and then it scales down and then they, maybe they recover from it. There's that point where... You meet some kids who've got parents who are poor or some kids who've got, you know, problems in their family and they won't even ask you, say you're a youth leader or something, they, they don't want to ask you, oh, can, can I have a Sunday at McDonald's? And it's because they have lost all faith. And so I have not met a mature Christian yet who is going around asking for Lamborghinis. I've met people who ask for Lamborghinis and if God wants to give it to them, then that seems to me to be between him and those two people, right? It says that in the Bible. Don't judge another man's servant. I don't encourage anyone to ask for Lamborghinis because in my experience, it doesn't happen. When you actually walk with the Lord and pray, you don't tend to ask for Lamborghinis. And also, God says no. Listen, God has told me no on lots of stuff. I asked him once for a job. I prayed really hard for the job. This was before any other jobs. I, there was an option to go and be, at, this was the mines back in the mining boom where you got paid $140,000 to measure tape and there was an opportunity to go and be a um, uh, mechanic, I forget, I've lost the word, but a diesel fitter at that thing, get an apprenticeship. I was the right age and I knew someone in the job and I was like, yes, I can go and get paid like $100,000 as an apprentice because this is the ridiculous mining boom where they were just throwing money out everywhere. And I was so excited and it was surely going to be a sure thing and I prayed and prayed and prayed about it and they said no, I have no idea why, but I know that God knew why. I thank God every day he didn't let me get that job because it would have ruined me. So that's the thing is God is completely capable of saying no. And just to use the Lamborghini example, either God, if God has to give you the Lamborghini, then you should pray for everything else, right? If, if that is how God is, every person in this room, you shouldn't do anything else but pray. Because you've got a God who literally has to give you Lamborghinis when you are. So don't work, just pray. Or if God's not like that and he's a person, as in he's a personality and he can say no, he can say, actually, nah, we won't do that one. Um, then you should just pray about everything, including, for example, if you've got a need for a car, pray for a car and don't pray, Lord, would you give me a rubbish car because I know it's going to be good for my soul. I know my soul so well. I know that I'll be so tempted if you give me anything other than a 2002 Kia. Please, just pray. Lord, would you grant me a car? In fact, the car I drive, which is by no means a Lamborghini, but I asked the Lord for a turbo diesel car that was a medium-sized small car because at the time I was driving a 1,000 kilometers a week for work. So I said, Lord, would you give me a turbo diesel car that's a medium to small car that can do long-distance trips, and it's $15,000. And for some miraculous reason, this couple in Gladstone, the city near us, had an overwhelming urge. She was pregnant, and I think hormones had done something to her because they listed the car at $22,000, which was its retail value, like its second-hand retail value, one year old. Listed for $22,000. Four days later, they dropped it to eighteen. Four days after that, they dropped it to fifteen. And so I rocked up and said, I'll, I'll buy that car for $15,000. And the insurance company said, we cannot insure it for $15,000. It is worth $19,000. That's the lowest we can go. And I was like, praise the Lord. He gave me a car. He did not give me a Lamborghini, but he did give me what I asked for. And if, I've got an, if I need another car in the future, I'm going to talk to him about it. Because maybe he'll say no, or maybe he'll make some couple, or he'll show me where some couple is who are desperately needing to get rid of their car. My experience has not been that God gives me ridiculous things 
in the sense of, I haven't got any gold bling or anything like that. And I live in a, that house that I was provided with was, it's a small house, it's dinky, you know, it's not a big house. But I got it, like 10 minutes of looking. I'm like, hey, as I said, my friend, non-Christian, he was like, dude, you're the luckiest dude I know. And I'm like, well, I've, I've only got God. My family's dirt poor. I have no qualifications to my name. I now pastor a church, which, as anyone can tell you, is not the most lucrative business. <laughs> and um, yet the Lord provides for me and provides for me and provides for me. And I just keep asking. And why not? You can all, if you want to, you can not ask because you're worried it's going to be a Lamborghini. But you have so much faith. If you believe God's going to give you a Lamborghini, I'm like, come on, believe. <laughs> if, you, if you really believe God's going to give you a Lamborghini, then I think you should pray for it because you've got astonishing faith. And come to my church. There's a lot of stuff I want you to pray for. It's not Lamborghinis. <laughs> like, we need money for missions, and there's all sorts of stuff. If you can pray for Lamborghinis, pray for that. Sorry, that was a long answer to that question. Um, great. Yeah. We'll probably close.